I, I think uh, about compositions in very flat terms. And that's one of the reasons why I really like painting boxes, because they allow me to work with, with squares and rectangles. So the composition for me happens on the surface. It's where you place the object on the surface of the canvas. So that if there's any idea of depth, uh, that's, that's the fabrication uh, afterwards. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 181st episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Alaria Roselli del Turco, who is a London-based painter, originally from Italy, and we talk all about her still lives, portraits, as well as her online gallery, Print Solo. I'm excited to announce our 2017 Pro Competition is now open, so if you are a professional non-student artist, please apply again. We are collaborating this year, we're very excited, with Bill Conger, who runs Heartbreaker Gallery in Peoria, Illinois, and he'll be selecting the artists this year. So again, he'll be selecting three artists to appear on an upcoming episode of studio break as well as one artist for an upcoming solo exhibition so if you're an artist or you know any artists that should apply please share this opportunity again you go to studiobreak.com it's very simple you send 10 images or a website link an artist statement and a small submission fee go to studiobreak.com and find out more details there for our 2017 pro competition if you're joining Studio Break for the first time, I just want to remind you, Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists that come on and talk all about their work, and you can find a big, healthy archive on studiobreak.com. Again, you can listen right there on the default player while you're scrolling through images or clicking the artist's websites. And again, we are in iTunes, so please subscribe there if you prefer that as well. Of course, we are on social media, so please like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, at Studio Break, and very brand-speaking new, we are finally on Instagram, so please go and follow us and let everyone know. Again, it's studio underscore break on Instagram. You can also follow me, at David Linaway, on Instagram and Twitter. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Alaria. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Alaria Roselli del Truco. Again, hopefully I didn't screw that up too much. Um, finally, great to have you on. Of course, uh, we're here to talk about your work. We'll probably talk a little bit about Print Solo and some of your other projects and um, all sorts of good stuff. And again, in, in terms of researching, again, you kind of have an interesting uh, maybe family lineage that we could talk about. So why don't we go from there? Again, could you just give us a little bit of a background on that? And yeah, we'll move forward from there. Yeah, so my... My uh, family is from, from Florence. I always lived in Rome. And uh, in my family, about 500 years ago, uh, there were a few painters of notice. So one was um, the, the most well-known one was Cosimo Rosselli, who was the teacher of the much more famous uh, Piero di Cosimo. And he was, uh, um, Cosimo was a, basically a jobbing painter, uh, painted some decorations in the Sistine Chapels as well. He painted a couple of panels in the Sistine Chapels and many other frescoes in Florence. There is actually some sort of 500 years gap. So I have that presence. I was always aware that the family has two or three important names uh, from the Renaissance. But actually then there was no 
no direct lineage like my my parents they are very um well educated people but they're not artists at all mm-hmm. at all <laughs> well it's always interesting that relationship between parents and art and kids and uh, especially like if there's a you know like a difference in terms of uh, passion or pursuit um i guess in the context of your family history then was it was there like a lot of anxiety or you know, interest in terms of like having to study art or, or fear of it just because there was that kind of like family uh, lineage, you know, in terms of Renaissance painting? In, well, basically, uh, as, I, as I told you, there's this feeling in, in, um, in Italy, at least, or maybe I don't know, it's just me, uh, but that the artist is someone anointed that has had this, this call and it's either you have it or not. And I, I never believed I, I had it actually until much later on if I do at all and if if there is something to be had at all I remember you know when I was about 15 or 16 my parents uh, shipped me uh, here to London uh, where I actually moved uh, in 1999 uh, but but at the time I was here doing a I don't know watercolor course and, and learning English mm-hmm. And there was this this young guy who stopped by and and asked me. It was an American actually, and he said, "Are you also an artist?" And and it struck me. It struck me as something so absurd <laughs> because <laughs> because we were fifteen or sixteen, and and really also in English there's a much wider concept you know you have the makeup artist you have i don't know the design artist and in italian the artist is just a person who does fine art mm-hmm. so this this uh, lineage uh, actually made things uh, harder for me although you know when you're in italy of course you grow in inside an artistic environment so your eye becomes used to some sort of magical beautiful proportions mm-hmm. and that i think fills you in with some sort of um uh, sensitivity for 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 art so it sounds like again there there was some you know studying art as you were kind of growing up um was it your was that something that was kind of just something that you you did like how serious i guess just because yeah i always i always did it you know the problem with um with with italy or it's not a problem but you know the, the way the school system is is that there is no practical art after the age of 11 or 12 mm-hmm. unless you go to a specific art school which was considered not academic at all uh, so other, otherwise you have no way of making art in in school so i was always a maker um i was never the the last one you know in in the classroom uh there making my own world onto a page i remember like my my classmates being like that i was mainly a maker uh, so I loved doodling. I loved everything. I was very manual. I worked a lot with paper, but it, it's always something that I've done on my own. Uh, sometimes in the summer, yes, I, I, I came here to do this uh, watercolor course. But in fact, um, it was mainly for me to learn English. Mm-hmm. And I found myself uh, when I graduated, when I you know, finished school, uh, I studied classics. 
I really wanted to do drawings, but uh, I ended up at an um, illustration school because that was uh, what was on offer at the time. And if I think, you know, maybe at that time it was about when the the uh, ateliers, the painting ateliers in, in Florence were starting, but I had no idea that one could go there, not that I would have wanted to go there. Yeah, so I, my, I was always a maker more than someone who wants to express something. Well, and so when you started this, this illustration program, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that experience was like? It was, it was terribly frustrating because I came from nothing. Uh, it never took me more than maybe half a, half a day to make something, to make a, even a drawing or a small painting. Um, and, and there I, we started from zero and we were uh, supposed to spend 40, 50 hours on a piece. Uh, and the whole, the whole uh, course was very much geared to photorealistic illustration, which, is, uh, which you know, in, a, in a few years would be completely wiped out by Photoshop. So thanks God, mm-hmm. I started that. <laughs> and after, after one year, so I have a bit of a trouble history in terms of my studies, because after one year, I had a very bad relationship with the guy who directed the course. This is not a, a good idea, probably. Mm-hmm. So they asked me to, after one year, uh, they said illustration was not in, very much into my court and asked me to go into the graphic uh, design section. And I refused. I left that school and I went to university to study political science. <laughs> so okay. I had, it was probably the biggest disappointment uh, of my you know, teenage years. And I did one year of that and I did my final exams for that year. And I was so sad uh, because I, that's not what I wanted to do. So I left again, I left university and I went to another illustration course, which was in Florence this time. And it was organized by an etching, you know, printmaking studio. Mm -hmm. And so it was illustration. It was more uh, editorial illustration, not photorealistic. And we did etching as well. Uh, So I finished that course and then I uh, went back to Rome and I had the studio uh, together with a sculptor for a while, which was a com- completely chance encounter. But I had started working as an illustrator and the proximity, we had two rooms, uh, adjoining rooms. And I realized you know, that was really my first taste of, um, of fine arts, basically. Mm-hmm. And we drew a lot from life together. We shared a model. And, and so that's when the whole thing started for me. Well, it's interesting because, again, you know, I, th- I think about it relative to maybe my experience or, you know, a number of people that I've interviewed, you know, especially talking about kind of like not being involved in that kind of like classical idea of like, you know, drawing from observation and, and kind of doing it as a regular practice. Was was that something that kind of really reinforced more of that, that fine art side as opposed to like graphic yes. design or illustration? Yeah. Yes, yes. It, it's, it's really the observation. It's the opposite of illustration as it was then and as it probably is now where you the artist is creates an image more than finds it you really visualize an idea and that in a way it's it's the opposite of of what a perceptual painter does so i i found that it's much more similar to 
But, you know, that's how I, I like to work. I don't visualize things. in, it. And I think that this overlap with illustration, I'm not talking about illustration in a negative way, but I think that there's a lot of painting now that is, uh, has, has this big overlap with, um, with illustration. Is this also about the time that you kind of really started studying on your own in, in terms of like classic works and, you know, kind of seeing, uh, I, I guess, the history of that? Yes, I was always um, very interested in in art, always. And, you know, my, my parents brought me to museums all the time. We traveled a lot. Yes, this was about the time when I had the studio with my with this uh, sculpture friend. He's, I have to say his name. He's called Jula Jakabfi. He's a Hungarian artist who was, was based in Italy. Um, and uh, so he's the one who told, spoke to me about art in a completely different way because I studied art history in school and then as I was um, sharing my studio with him I signed up to university once again uh, for to um, study history of art and um, yes yeah, so so that was about the time and he spoke to me in a way so he that really looked into um, I don't know. I can't. I can't really say this, but the, the, so the old masters were alive, in the way he presented them to me, uh, rather than some sort of academic um, uh, thing. You know, practice that you'd had to learn, memorize, and answer exams questions. Mm-hmm. So how to look at old masters and start stealing from them, find uh, something that really. Um, spoke to me that's yes that's when it when it started i would say were there any like particular artists that like stick out to you now especially looking back then that really kind of also kind of drew you in and again i I don't know there's so many influences that people have but there might be something that just pops out (laughs) yes influences influences as as we all know change all the time i think that my my interest with old masters uh particularly the, the italian you know renaissance uh started when i was removed from that environment so when i moved to england um at the time as a much you know younger painter the my my, my big meeting was with with Lucian Freud I remember um, you have to think about sorry I, I, I'm skipping a little bit uh, but in in Italy there is very little painting figurative painting going on even now and particularly at that time uh, particularly you know after the war um, there was a movement of the arte povera of abstract art Fontana uh, so I really saw very little contemporary figurative painting and we're talking about the 80s. And I remember going to the uh, uh, Lucian Freud show, and that was some sort of revelation. Like, it is, it is possible. It is possible to paint figuratively now. How shall I put it? He's not, he's not one of my big reference uh, painters, but I'm very grateful mm-hmm. uh, for, having, uh, for having seen that show. And, uh, you know, that kind of sparked some ambition in me. Oh, is that also something like in terms of your work? Again, you kind of cover, you know, a variety of you know still life and interiors and portraits. Is that when yes. you kind of started then really getting serious about oil portraits? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Because I, I, at that time, so I I, I was um, again sharing with the sculptor, and we were doing drawing. And then he had a friend who showed me oils. I knew I wanted to paint it in 
in oils. So this is another um, Italian painter who's still practicing. He's called Giovanni Tommasi Ferroni. And so he showed me, he just brought me to his studio. I went there two or three times. He gave me a basic palette. And then I, I had to, you know, fend for myself and understand how, how to do things. But, at the, you know, years were going by. And at that point, I was 24. And then I got married and I had one, two, three kids. I moved from Rome to Milan, Milan to Rome, Rome to Milan again, and Milan to London. So my oil kit was there all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always worked uh, when I was when I had these young kids, but obviously it wasn't easy uh, when you move a lot. And so I, I think my my real birth happened uh, when I came to London. Um, so that was in '99, and you know by the time I got organized in 2000 2001, uh, that's when I went to school again, to art school again, always on a on a um, part time basis. And and that and I never left oil ever again. I never touched watercolors or pencils again. Ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel even though I have to teach with acrylic most of the times, I feel like it's a foreign thing. Um, yes. Just there's something about oil paint, you know. I don't know. I, just the way it's just the way it smells, you know. I'd it's, it's love to do a tour of a factory or something, maybe, but I don't know. <laughs> It's just, yes, it's maybe it's the addiction, addiction to the smell. And in general, uh, you know, it's just the way you can manipulate it and, and the, the, the variety of options that it, that it offers. So I can't. And then also, you, you know, you get into some sort of mindset. So you're working from dark to light. It's, I, find, I would find it very difficult to start working in a different way. Well, I'm curious, again, to kind of start maybe talking about some of the work and maybe portraits would be a good place to start then yes portraits was my 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 first uh interest um i actually i had started uh making portraits uh, again when i was 21 22 um and i i cringe desperately think because i started with pencils and i was doing this uh lovely little young <laughs> little portraits of, of young people uh, that were probably in a horrible taste but i'm very grateful now for all the people who commissioned me at the time because i learned a lot uh doing those and when i when i came here to London, I, I went to Heatherley's, which is an independent art school, uh, with the idea of learning portraits. I'm, I, I love painting portraits. However, I don't see that as my main artistic practice. Sure. Uh, because the presence of the person there influences what I do too much. I, I did a lot of portraits for a while, and I do them regularly, uh, either on commission or with, or with the model. Maybe as as some alternative because my still life are very um, still, <laughs> <laughs> so I need some sort of a biomorphic uh, shape uh, in my paintings every now and then. However, uh, the portraits are the ones you know the, the genre that help me make my name if I if I have one. So I started through portraits and I also think you know we talked about teaching that uh, I was quite disappointed that I wanted to do a workshop on still life but nobody (laughs) signed up (laughs) and people (laughs) sign up to my to my workshop when I do portraits and I'm you know I just wanted to say that that still life is as hard as as a portrait to paint and maybe harder and subtler so 
portraits are um, are very important uh, still, but not my focus right now. I would love to, but I, I haven't succeeded until now to uh, incorporate portrait and and still life and do you know something interiors i think now that the more i go on uh, in in painting um and i understand more about what i'm doing i joke um and i say that i haven't got much insight into my work i have it's more of a hindsight (laughs) So as as the the more I work, the more I understand what the work is about. And I think uh, this move from Italy to to London, it's at the core of the work. So that I, I think, I hope that I can convey a sense of nostalgia and also of, of absence. And maybe that's why. I wasn't able to, I've tried to put figures and still life together because there's a presence rather than an absence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm just curious. Again, I know that we'll, we'll be talking about the, the still lives especially and, and more the yes. current work. But with regards to the portraits, I'm, I'm curious then. So again, you, you kind of talked about it earlier. Again, are all of these from observation? And then as someone that might, might do a, a commission portrait then, like what's the process like in terms of like setting it up i mean are you do you really kind of like set a stage take take charge in terms of lighting and all that all those kind of formal kind of concerns cuz again the the color schemes and especially throughout the works are just i don't know just very interesting and and sometimes you know really really colorful sometimes a little bit more pale but i mean again there's such a yeah. nice dynamic range Thanks. so yeah when um when i work on on portraits yes they're always from observation sometimes sometimes i do use photo references uh in in between settings uh i always paint if i have to paint from a photo i always paint from a black and white uh print never from a colored photograph um and i don't i I don't really set up that much. I try to work with with what I have. Of course, if someone is wearing a, a shirt that is like a punch in the eye, and it takes away from the head, then I, and then I would, you know, probably ask them to do something or to cover up. Or I don't know. But I, I I try to work with with what I have. I think I was actually uh, writing something today uh, for Prince Solo. We'll talk about it later, but I find uh, very exciting when there are limitations. So so that when one's not 100% in control. And in fact, one, one portrait that has been my number zero, because it, it's a portrait that was accepted for the BP, the Portrait Award in 2010. And it, many people have seen it. Even now, you know, people remember that little painting. Uh, I've done that in a in a class where I arrived late and I was stuck behind the door, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I got the profile view, and and again I, you know I work with what I have and I didn't have much and and it came out you know quite quite a good portrait so much so that um, it ended up at the National Portrait Gallery <laughs> for some reason. And just to let everyone know too, which which painting specifically is this? Because it'd be nice to. It's called it's called uh, Geneva. Okay, that's what I thought it might be. Yeah. Yes, and y- you know something again. You know, in hindsight, 
I never realized how that portrait is close to Piero della Francesca's uh, profile portrait uh, of uh, Federico da Montefeltro. So it has the same blue background and the, the, the model is wearing red and it's a full profile. And, you know, it took me a while to see that, of course, you know, that image from Piero um, has kind of ingrained itself into my into my brain. When I look at a lot of your work, I just think like some of it, like maybe you know, the most current stuff seems like it might be more uh, time-consuming, but for some reason, everything seems to look so fresh and alive as opposed to, like, labored over. I don't know. <laughs> it is labored over, not in terms of time, but in terms of intensity. So I think when I'm working with someone present in my studio, or normally if it's a commission, I tend to go to their place. I think they're more at ease. Those Two hours, three hours, they're really intense. Uh, something something happens so that um, yes, that's the concentration becomes, again, more intense um, than, than when you have a still life that it's, it's there forever. So the freshness uh, maybe comes from there. And actually, um, I realized uh, that when I, I stopped working from from photos 100% which I did in the past because it does teach you and you don't always have a model there I've, I've realized that the paintings I did from photos are the ones that are overworked and uh, even though I think it's easier and it would help me in fact the paintings I do from life they look better so I had to in the end I had to come to terms with this which means you know I can't I, I, I don't take commissions if people are not available to to sit for example I can't I can't do that anymore because I know that the painting will, will you know will not be very good well again there's something about like having something that's alive to kind of I don't know feel the pressure I guess if you will like even again when I when I'm painting uh outside it's much different than painting from a photograph because there's yes you know something something like there's time you know like you can feel time moving just like in i'm sure case, if you're... <laughs> and also you're in the space you're in the space so it's it's a completely different experience and uh, i was um talking to this friend of mine we had painted together uh he's a very good uh, english painter james bland and he um, we had painted together, he, he enlarged the sketch he did uh, with me uh, in, in a much larger painting recently. And, uh, and he wanted to, to know from me, because if I still had my sketch, because he didn't, of course, the model is gone. We painted together one year ago. And, and I, I had a photo and I had my sketch. And when I sent them both, and he said to me, uh, well, I, of, of course, the photo was lying. <laughs> so that the experience of being there is much more vivid in a painting than, than in a photo when you have a, a choice between, between the two. The presence, uh, it's, it's more felt. The photo uh, introduces a layer of, of distance. Again, I, I admire very much the people who successfully work from photographs because I, I realize I can't. Portraiture is something that you, you still kind of, you know, will, will do. But it looks like from some of the other work, again, there's, there's mezzotints and uh, print work that looks kind of still life based and then you know, this most recent series, um, how long have you been working on these? I don't know. It looks like studio piles, <laughs> you know, or yes, yes. You know, living quarter <laughs> piles. 
Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's ages. Now that I think about it, I've been painting boxes for... <laughs> May almost, I think, at least seven or eight years, and it started with one or two, and and again, in hindsight, it's uh, the idea of rather than painting still lifes with with flowers, the idea of having these shapes. Um, so I, I started painting boxes, and after four, five, six, I don't know how many paintings, I realized how similar they are to the towns that you see in in renaissance frescoes like in giotto and in piero and in in many others so they the, the these setups became um little cities so that they the idea is that they ha- they have some sort of architectural urbanistic uh, characteristic and and so i painted for a while i painted these these boxes that i was trying to set up in a very precise way so as if you know something every single item should fall into a, a precise place um the items I weren't using were in a pile <laughs> on a table mm-hmm. in my studio. And I turned around and I looked at that and I said, oh, well, this is beautiful. I'm going to paint this instead. And I have a, a, a feeling that uh, these chaotic setups, they actually um, started happening when I learned more about painting and I lost all my certainties. <laughs> so I don't know if it's, you know age or something that happens with age or an influence from this very messy outside world uh, we live in uh, with politics and this kind of gloomy future i'm not sure um or and also there's this component of of um uh, yes uncertainty even in my own work Mm -hmm. painting sometimes it's like a, a funny video game when you know you you really struggle a lot into going through a level and then you get to the next level and it's much harder mm-hmm. <laughs> and i can't i sort of lost that clarity that i had in the first setup that you know where this pink box had to go here and this other green box had to go there with that certain interval and there was a certain rhythm I, very often i think about the my setup in terms of um of uh, of music so there is some sort of musical rhythm um that is transferred on on the canvas but all of a sudden you know in the last couple of years i i i think i'm i'm not able i'm finding hard to make those decisions and everything seems a jumbled up mess and um so that's how you know that that happened and it's not and i i feel that it's not a series of work is is the work so it's again sometimes I, i again i listen to your podcast and i read in interviews and i so all these great artists who have who do projects and they have an idea and then they um, construct a body of works on that idea. I can't do that. I'm kind of dumb. I can do one thing at a time <laughs> and that's the only thing I do. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned something about um, hindsight, you know, at, at some point earlier. And I think a lot of times that's what it is, you know, like you're just, you just have to make and 
weeks and months go by and you look back on something and you, it starts generating ideas. But, you know, it all comes back to then just kind of having something to, to respond to when you start. It's, it's um, a form of honesty and, and, and trust. And this is something, you know, when, when I got into the BP, the Portrait Award, they gave me a little badge that mm-hmm. said artist when I went <laughs> to, the, to the opening. Uh, you know, I joked and said, well, if they, you know, if they say so, maybe it's true. And maybe the guy who asked me if I was an artist when I was 15, then <laughs> after 15 years, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm almost there. So uh, I think if, you, if, if, you're, if you're honest and you trust what you're doing and you really believe in what you're doing and you're not making things up for, you know, for selling or, you, or applying ideas, pushing ideas into the work when they're not there or shaping the work to illustrate an idea. This is another, you know, it's probably another danger, but you work very honestly from what you believe is going to be beautiful, what you're engaged into. Then in hindsight, you will find that thread that connects all the paintings and that connects them to something you're feeling and you know I I was actually I was very um, interested when I looked at Morandi. Morandi of course is one of my grandfathers Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of of course you know all the painters who painted still life and there is a real difference between the paintings he made during the war and before the war and and after the war and it it's always the same table with the same bottles but there is a difference so if if you let your feelings come through or shut down the brain then then that what is happening in the world is reflected in your paintings without them being consciously made in a political way well i think that's interesting too because like again just from my background i think again like it's so expansive what art is to people and for me kind of studying it wasn't until i was you know in school much later that i that i started painting outside again and you know it's it's i almost feel like gosh if anybody feels self-conscious i feel like like painting landscapes is like um a hobby of mine as opposed to mm. my my main interest just because i feel so inadequate about it but there there really is something that kind of resonates in a different way and i think some again maybe maybe just because people become so focused on the academics or you know kind of pushing a message like again it seems like a lot of people overlook um this kind of very I don't know. It's it's an exploration, you know. I mean, it's really something that's like a life path or something that you might again work through and just kind of observe. I don't know. I'm sh- I'm sure again as you're kind of thinking of these compositions or looking for composition that's something that maybe kind of um pops in there too. It's just again a daily practice and then, you know, you just happen to turn around one day and see this thing that you feel compelled yes. to work out. Yeah, I mean, we're not journalists. You know, uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, art uh, made today, which is bordering with with journalism. Uh, so, the, but there's a relevance for, for for and a space for for everything. Well, how do you how do you come up with your compositions? And I mean, again, it sounds like some of them come through. You know, again, just maybe 
you know, setting up and obviously looking at various situations. But do you wind up then like doing a full, you know, drawing study before you commit to a painting? And I don't know, could you kind of walk us through that process? I don't um, I don't draw anymore. The, the compositions start, as I was saying, I was setting them up very carefully. And now they kind of happen. I have all these objects and then maybe, you know, I move them around to make a smaller painting on one side of the table. And then I turn around and 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 the city is there <laughs> so uh, the i take objects to my studio i'm like a, a yeah, kind of squirrel them up to my <laughs> studio <laughs> something sometimes it's a color sometimes it's an object that i you know that, that has some sort of significance some sometimes it's a shape sometimes it's a quote from an artist so the composition kind of happened a little bit like a like a landscape if you want and i i move them around uh, while i paint if i see something interesting and then sometimes there are some visual problems that i'm uh, looking at like recently you know putting two boxes together i realized that there wasn't some sort of internal pressure so i'm interested even in what happens in to the space in between things and how you know how the colors reflect on each other so I was. I recently. I. I saw a friend of mine who's. She's. She's doing uh, this atelier. She's halfway through her um, process, and she was looking at my still life, and and she said. This is finally, this one is composed um, following the rules that we are, that they're teaching us. <laughs> so that immediately, I immediately destroyed <laughs> that life um, because I understood, because I, I find that there are two really different ideas of composition. And one is a composition in space so that the, the setup is, is composed in the, the distance in uh, how can I say it? on a table it's it's placed carefully and so there is that idea of of um, uh, the person kind of entering the space or leading the eye in and I don't believe in that kind of composition at all I think that's that's for cinema and for maybe for photography but it's it's it comes from cinema I don't think it comes from uh, from painting uh, at least not the painting that has been affected you know the after Cezanne, <laughs> I, I think uh, about compositions in very flat terms. And that's one of the reasons why I really like painting boxes, because they allow me to work with, with squares and rectangles. So the composition, for me, it happens on the surface. It's where you place the object on the surface of the canvas. So that if there's any idea of depth, uh, that's that's the fabrication uh, afterwards i don't know i have a pink box that i use a lot and that is almost adhering to the surface i don't know i don't know how to explain that but i it just means that i i'm looking more at diebenkorn that at 19th century painting does it just vary in terms of like how many sessions something will take to work through um, yes yes of course it varies but the uh, still life uh it takes me a week, a couple of weeks. Um, I, I proceed very slowly, very slowly. So I don't, I don't make many paintings. Always one setup. 
uh, it's always the same setup which I change, and I and I basically only work on one setup at the time. It's also a matter of space because my studio is small. Sure. Well, yeah. Again, I feel like that's a it's a reality a lot of artists have to face. Yeah. Is where do I where do I make? How does my mess like extend into the rest of the house? And <laughs> can yes. I can I scale it back a little bit? Yes, it's it's again, but it's it's also one of those limitations that that I think help the work become more more um, focused. The idea for me that also it's that the the studio of course affects your painting, and I I think my my paintings are quite intimate. And my studio is very small, and it's it's intimate. So I think that having a small studio affects my my painting positively. I want to see it that way. I don't want to see it like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to have a. I wouldn't know what to do in a very big, <laughs> in a huge space. It would be scary. And I think yes, it would. I would probably make very different paintings. It's interesting to kind of see these and and think about. You know the way that we think about objects, or you know, they they kind of imply people without you know having the the figure directly in there. And again, just from my own personal experience, I mean, just cleaning out, you know, a relative or loved ones, you know, belongings after their their past. You know, it's all of these things that that somehow feel like they're loaded with with this content because you can relate to them on a a, a person level. Yes, I have a I have you know that this strong. Nostalgia of Italy. If someone would, might say to, say to me, "Yeah, we then you know go back, <laughs> just go back," which we will eventually. I think geography and again you know distance become very relevant when one goes somewhere else. Also, you know, the, being Italian, it became much more important since I'm here than than when I was in in Italy. And in my studio I have windows facing north and facing south and I blocked the north light. I know it, you know, that's what artists are supposed to work with, but I find that that kind of um uh, longing for the south well, it's it's expressed much better through the warmth that come from the south window. Also what happens during the day is of course that the shadows change on the setting and and that is incorporated in in the painting so i'm not very exact so so some parts of the painting are, are done in the morning with the sh- shadows in a certain way and then in the afternoon something different happens and i keep going and this might seem like an odd question out of nowhere but um now with regards to like your your palette is it like a very wide selection of color ranges and my palette has just been defined bizarre by <laughs> a painter friend. So it's not it's not super wide, but it's it's uh, built on uh, not only on color but on the physical quality of the paint. So I need to have thicker and thinner paints. Uh, so it's it's not if a yellow, it's that particular yellow. Uh, but if I need to have a transparent yellow and an opaque yellow, a transparent red and an opaque red and I found Williamsburg uh, does this line of earth uh, where the pigment is not ground very finely so the they're very gritty mm-hmm. and the pigment gets into the little holes of the linen and uh, just gives beautiful a beautiful texture um, I've heard recently uh, there's a little snippet online of uh, Leonard uh, Anderson, the American painter, who um, tells a student to you know, scrape the paint, and he 
he uh, makes this beautiful movement with his hands. He says that the uh, painting will breathe mm -hmm. if you if you scrape it. And so that's now you know my new mantra is that the painting needs to breathe. And so uh, dosing uh, the thickness of the paint has become very important for me. And so the palette is is um, geared towards obtaining this. Uh, so I I I, do, I use flake white. I don't know if I can say that officially online, but I smuggle from the states because it's much more hard to get hold of it and it's more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yes, so I buy it uh, actually from from US. And um, yeah, yeah, and I have some Williamsburg earth. Not very. It's not very white. So I have I have really have. Two yellows, two reds, and a couple of us. So okay. Maybe eight, nine colors, but yeah. Yeah, that makes me feel better. I just, I felt like for a while, I just, I, I bought all these paints in school a long time ago, and they'd just been sitting in a box, you know. Um, <laughs> and at some point, I honestly, in the last couple of years, just switched out to all Williamsburg. But like for a long time, I just painted with primary colors and, you know, like a brown, you know, and white. Yeah. So I really kind of, I don't know, there's something about, trying to unify like a painting through color where I feel like if there's less colors, it makes it a little bit easier to keep them kind of more consistent. It, again, it depends on, on, on what you need to achieve. That's why it's mm -hmm. so difficult to prescribe a palette because my paintings are not very saturated. If I need a saturated color, I will, I will add one. And you know, if you're painting in the south of France, you need certain colors that you don't need in a studio in, in London if you're working from observation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, when I, I went to do a, a residency in Italy, my palette, my palette was completely inadequate. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have, I was missing <laughs> colors to work outside. I didn't have enough colors to make proper greens. So yeah, so I guess it, it depends on what you do. But Williamsburg is a good brand. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and I'm curious, again, maybe not a super exciting question. Are, do you work on surfaces that are always like primed with, with white or are they, you know, kind of like oil-based grounds or is, is that something that's a concern? I worked either on oil-primed linen, which I buy ready-made, I don't prime it myself. And then again, by chance, I found something that I use for uh, uh, priming uh, panels, Something called case alba. It's casein, basically. It's a casein powder from uh, that uh, French brand, uh, Sennelier. Mm -hmm. And it's very mm -hmm. easy because you you um, mix it with water and apply it, and that's it. And it's, it absorbs all the oil. So, the, again, the, the point is uh, obtaining a surface that is completely matte. And all my paintings are matte completely and in fact in in uh, making up my palette i had sometimes uh, at the start i had to i was working with paints that dry glossy and mm -hmm. i had to find out you know what they were because i don't i don't like glossy so when i work on panel again this this um case alba uh, so drinks up all the oil and makes makes the painting look like they're if they're frescoes basically i was going to ask then so i'm curious about you know like how your other um endeavors kind of also kind of like balance you know out your studio life because again 
you have a, a blog, which, again, you contribute to regularly. And then also, how long have you been doing print solo and what's that all about? So my, my blog is kind of defunct. So I, I, I went on it. I, I worked at it for a while. And then I thought, like many other blogs, was uh, killed by Facebook and um, uh, many other uh, social networks. Uh, About five years ago, I I started uh, making prints again. So I I had mentioned that I went to Florence to study printmaking. And I did one intense year of etching. I always loved prints. And I started again about five years ago making monotypes. I wanted to sell monotypes online and I found that the galleries that exist, the online, you know, platform were not good if you're an exhibiting artist because they're very comprehensive and the quality is not very good. So I had this idea three years ago to make a platform for artists like me who maybe work regularly with with galleries, but the galleries are not very interested in prints normally because it takes the same effort to sell a painting and then to sell a print. And of course, they make much less money. Mm-hmm. So when I when I had the idea and I just uh, so commissioned some designer to make this uh, website and it's it's it now exists it's, it's called Print Solo uh, it's an online gallery devoted to printmaking it has very good artists because I've selected them. <laughs> All of them. So there is uh, some basic criteria. So it's not only my taste, um, although that plays a part. But the idea was to um, educate people on on original prints because printmaking is is wonderful. And I, I as I when I started, I started again making monotypes, uh, which was probably the easiest thing. And then I went into re- more recently into mezzotints. I'm, I'm still really learning. I'm fighting against uh, digital reproductions, mm-hmm. and and I thought that it would be good to try and do something for this an artistic community. You know, maybe not too many people, but I now have about 80 artists uh, who are selling on print solo. Every now and then we do sell prints. <laughs> it just put me in touch with so many interesting people. And I really like printmaking because it does feed my painting practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and I'm I'm so obsessed with oil, and I think it does me good to have a look at what uh, printmakers are doing as well. It I also have to uh, talk about printmaking and introduce artists. So also, the ability of um, looking at art has you know has has improved. My ability of looking at art has improved. The range of art is really, really interesting. And again, to kind of be able to have that kind of dialogue, I'm sure, you know, kind of helps you, you know, just because you'll be looking at maybe new artwork as you're kind of keeping in touch with everybody. There's something about having a community, I think, that's that's really important. Again, almost, I think that's a something that's a variation for a lot of different artists. Cause I was just talking to an artist recently that says they really like not having a, a community and not talking to anybody. But for me, I feel like it, I don't know, there's just something about it to get excited and, and to kind of reinforce that you, you know, are making something by hand, you know, you know, you, you can't really do something that is different from what you are. So I'm, I'm the person who shares <laughs> and you know, that's why I had the blog. I, I really have this urge to, 
say things, talk too much maybe as in this interview. Um, but <laughs> so if, if, you, if you feel like you benefit from a community, you've got something to say, there are so many platforms where, where you can do that. And I, I, I really, well, for Print Solo, I really wanted to do something and to, again, for the artists, but also, you know, to shout to people, buy art, buy some art. It's cheap. <laughs> it's not always for free. And when you see something you like, don't just hit like button. Just, you know, go get your credit card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm very um, passionate about this. I think it, it does make a huge difference. I, I, I don't understand why people spend... 300 pounds on on shoes and then don't buy a piece of art for 100 or or 50 maybe mm-hmm. that's the print solo thing and then in general i'm a, i'm a great user per user of social networks of course but i, I think it's isolation yes it's good but i've learned so much from from other artists on on Facebook. I mean, I'm very interested. I've always listened to all the podcasts that I can find, read interviews. Because I didn't have the teacher, uh, then, you know, I I had to find my own teachers. Yeah, yeah. And again, educate yourself, which I, again, it seems like (laughs) I always have really stupid realizations as I'm getting older. Like, yeah, like real artists are like, you know, researchers for life, you know, like there's a difference between just being an amateur that likes something versus, you know, really getting into it and, you know, learning about things more specifically, reading, you know, what somebody else's thoughts are and this person's thoughts. And again, I think all of that, you're always like a a student for life, you know? Yes. Yes. Which again, I think all of that stuff kind of just makes it much more rewarding even even if it's uh even if it's not always uh monetarily the most successful thing you know there's there's something about contributing to that enrichment yes. that community you know and it, you know you have to what you do needs to make sense somehow and presume we all have a doubt that we are kind of indulging into this activity that we love and and people should pay some money to buy things that we actually love doing and many of us you know would i'd pay to Mm -hmm. to paint (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it it is fundamental you know to to do it seriously and to fit in this uh, big river of of um artworks that have been produced and somehow you know find find your bearings and and do it seriously not just not just doodle. Well, again, I, I I just really appreciate you taking the time. It's it's again just really rewarding to be able to pick someone's brain and, and to talk about their work. So thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank thanks you for for asking me. Really, it's it's great. And um, also, I think mo- most podcasts always have American voices. So now you have a different <laughs> <laughs> a different accent uh, and perhaps uh, I hope a, a different perspective. Thanks once again to Alaria for joining me. You can check out her website, ilardt.com. Again, we do have a hyperlink right there, so please click it. You can also check out Prince Solo, and while you're there, break out that credit card and maybe buy something. 
Another reminder that our 2017 Pro Competition is now open, so please apply today. Again, our juror this year is Bill Conger of Heartbreaker Gallery in Peoria. Again, it's a wonderful new space, and he'll be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break, as well as one artist for an upcoming solo exhibition, so please apply. Again, it's quite simple. You send 10 images or an artist statement or a web link with that information and a small application fee. You can find out all the information on studiobreak.com. And if you know any professional artists, please tell them to apply today. Again, it'll be very exciting to get a lot of wonderful applications in. Just another reminder that Heartbreaker has an opening this coming Friday, July 28th. The show is entitled Night Things and features work by Jenny Hansen. Brandon Sisko and Rudolph Stingle. And again, you can find that link to the event on our Facebook page. And again, you can find a link to Heartbreaker on the main Studio Break page. So please check it out. There's plenty of social media pages out there, and of course, you should follow ours. Again, you can like our Facebook page. You can get updates like the announcement I was just talking about at Heartbreaker. You can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And please go to our brand new Instagram page, Studio underscore Break, and follow us there. You can also check out my work at David Linaway. There's plenty of paintings up there, as well as follow me on Instagram and Twitter at David Linaway. Before we get out of here, I do want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides all the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork and all sorts of good stuff at SkylarMail.net. Last but not least, thanks again for listening. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and we'll talk to you real soon.